0: Welcome to another episode of Monday, Monday afternoon. afternoon Theologian.
1: I would never know who it was. It's just an amazing transformation. I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> Since we're probably going to be talking about spies and stuff today, I figured another disguise was in order. Reporting in (laughs) progress. Hey, hello, Rick
0: and our fellow theologians. Welcome to another episode in Season Two, as we explore humor in the Bible.
1: was quite an introduction well well (laughs) (laughs) i get the impression there could be some foreshadowing in that but i Uh, think we'll probably have to wait for our actual topic tool to help us should it be foreshadowing Mm -hmm. it sounded somewhat james (laughs) bondish and here again
0: i just thought i was making stuff up
1: (laughs) Well, we know that James Bond and his uh, crew of elves in the background used to make stuff up because he has some of the greatest toys ever. I mean, the car alone was just phenomenal. I mean, with the let's spread an oil slick behind it and Mm -hmm. the machine guns in the headlight. And, oh, you're not a very good passenger. I'm going to hit the ejection seat. (laughs)
0: yeah gadgets galore i love those gadgets that was a great trope i think that's the right word for things that appear in these kinds of movies a trope is that the right word for that
1: i think it is if not we're going to pretend it is
0: okay we hereby now adopt trope (laughs) (laughs) another thing that i loved about those espionage movies like james bond and others were the great diversions that they could create allowing them to do something surreptitiously in another area.
1: And the bad guy always had the great lair with the shark tank or over the volcano.
0: We sort of suspended realism at the beginning of those things
1: anyway. We just enjoyed the ride. I don't know. I always thought that submarine cars that would jump out of the water and fly and shoot missiles were, you know, pretty common at least where I grew up. Well, which was Fantasy Land. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes and i love the differences of opinion amongst the different team members because there were all these things that were just like brick walls and they would go up against each other no we should do it this way no we should do it that way and usually if it's done really well those people would be best buddies by the end of the movie
1: and they always had such annoying villains which were yeah. so easy to parody because <laughs> you remember one million dollars <laughs> yes <laughs>
0: Oh, have you ever been engaged in some sort of espionage activity? I used to think of myself as being pretty tricky and wanting to do spy-like stuff. Like one Christmas, my cousin from Texas came over to Phoenix, where we lived at the time. And he and I camped out on the living room floor. And uh, we had a pallet down there on the floor. And we made our gadget, which was very high tech. It was basically a trip wire with some fishing line. Connected to some things that would rattle and make noise. So if Santa came along while we were sleeping and hit that wire, we would have caught Santa in the act. And how effective was this Um, Santa trap? Not very. (laughs) Because apparently Santa must have some sort of special device to detect trip wires. And he stepped right over that and some new toys wrapped appeared under
1: the tree while we slept. That's a a pretty common theme, not only amongst real life human children, but also in the movies. As we saw something really similar in uh, Christmas Chronicles, which I found to be quite hilarious, where the little sister decided she wanted to do something similar, but instead of a noise making device, she had a video camera. And she was going to catch Santa in the act on video so that she would have proof Uh, that he actually was there. And as we see in the movie, she actually catches a hand in frame. Mm -hmm. And all sorts of odd things come from that. (laughs) I don't want to do spoilers for the movie because I enjoyed it immensely, especially the jail scene. (laughs) Yeah, no
0: spoiler alerts. But if you get a chance to watch it, it was very clever. I recall that as well.
1: Well, it sounds like we're on a theme here mm-hmm. shock of shocks mm-hmm. something about secret missions and spy stuff why don't we consult our
0: dark, dark board of, of destiny. destiny and
1: see what it suggests for today's
0: story very good idea i'm personally hoping for a compelling spy story with some of these espionage tropes that you and i enjoy so much and of course as always it would be nice if we had a happy ending too <laughs> Yeah, we always like a happy ending. Here comes my little dart. We're gonna do the old dart board of, of destiny. See what it says. We ought to look at today. Ready? Hey, what's throw that thing? Sorry. Okay. This is a good spy-related story. We are going
1: to look at <laughs> spies. What? It's a good <laughs> thing because we would have had the whole introduction for nothing if you know we had woman at the well <laughs>
0: <laughs> i know it works out so well that way so far <laughs> Dark Dark Boiler Boiler of of Destiny Destiny. has been right every time to stay on theme and we're going to look at spies in the promised land
1: oh that is a good one mm-hmm. and where exactly is this found in the bible
0: that would be numbers chapter 13. good let's get a setup shall we let's do it here's the setup Moses sent out 12 spies, one from each tribe in Israel. But what we need to know leading up to this spy event is that Israel had been on a roller coaster ride leading up to this point in their history. For them to finally be looking at moving into the land God had promised them was a big deal.
1: So well, Moses gave the men instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. He told them to see what the land was like and to find out whether the people living there were strong or weak, few or many. Did their towns have walls? Were they unprotected? Was the soil good for farming, or was it rocky? Were there many trees? What were their crops like?
0: And in one valley, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, so huge that it took two men to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and figs they found there, Clearly, this was an
1: extremely fruitful valley. And they just didn't pop in and out. They explored the land for 40 days and then brought back their report. And they told Moses that the land
0: was very fertile and that it had produced really good crops.
1: However.
0: Oh, no. There's a however?
1: Yes, and it's a really big however. Ah. There was a huge concern brought by 10 of the 12 spies. Mm -hmm. And by huge, I mean literally huge. You see what I mean when we get into the story.
0: Okay, sounds good. Well, why don't we pick up the story in Numbers 13, starting with, let's say, verse 28. This is the part where 10 of the 12 spies told Moses that they were really afraid of some of the things in the promised land.
1: But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And the Amalekites live in Negev, and the Hittites, and Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. They're much stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites
0: the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there all the people we saw were huge we even saw
1: giants
0: there next to them we felt like grasshoppers and that's what they
1: thought too so that's the story 10 of the 12 spies whined about how big the people were (laughs) two spies talked about how amazing the grapes were
0: so Seems like they had a choice. It was either grapes or grasshoppers. (laughs) They could choose to go after the lush land and the terrific produce, or they could feel like grasshoppers and stay away because they feared the
1: giants in the land. And I'm afraid to tell you that they were too afraid to actually go into the land.
0: Oh, man. So it sounds like we might not get that happy ending we were hoping
1: for. Nope. Not this time. (sighs) At least not right away. Caleb and Joshua brought back a good report of the land, but because of the other 10 spies who brought back the bad report, the people didn't want to enter the promised land. Mm. As a result, the Israelites stayed another 37 years in the desert before entering the promised land.
0: Oh, man, 37 more years. Oy now,
1: the happy ending had to come much, much later. You know, God is patient, and he did allow them to enter into the promised land. It was promised to them, mm. not right away, eventually.
0: Seems like there are some lessons here for people like us.
1: Yes, important lessons. For one thing, it's easy for us to choose the certainty of misery over the misery of uncertainty.
0: It's easy for us to choose the certainty of misery over the misery of uncertainty. Ooh, that's deep. And true. So let me ask, what is it that keeps us from making changes and improving our future?
1: Well, for one thing, as we just said, we're afraid of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. We would rather stay in the known, even if we're miserable, than take a risk in the unknown and move forward. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like the price is right. The guy comes up on stage, he wins the pregame, and he gets the big prize, and right in front of him, a hundred pounds of dog food, ooh! Bob Barker, or Drew Carey, or whoever's hosting now, would say, do you wanna keep the dog food, or go for what's behind door number three? Now, door number three might be hiding a car, or a trip to Spain, but what does he say? I'll keep the dog food, even though I don't have a dog.
0: Yeah, that's what being afraid of uncertainty is like.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it happens all the time.
0: It does. Can you remember a time personally when you took a risk and the changes that resulted took you forward into a future that God had in store for you?
1: There was a time when I was a floral designer at a really, really, really nice resort hotel called the Phoenician, but I wasn't particularly happy there. And I had the opportunity to open my own flower shop which I did. I took that leap of faith. I stepped down into it. And from that, even though I wasn't really interested in doing things like weddings and so forth, it turned out that was where the bigger money was. So we closed the actual store, created an event decorating business, which had not only weddings, but receptions and banquets and bar mitzvahs and all of those kind of things. And from that, I was able at one time to do the post-game Super Bowl party for the Pittsburgh Steelers. No way. Yes, way. (laughs) And that never would have happened if I was still working at that resort.
0: Now, I've known you for a long time, and I did not know about that.
1: (laughs) Sometimes I'll tell the whole story. It's kind of fun. (laughs) That's cool.
0: That was a risk and i'm sure that there was a lot of uncertainty about trying to move forward to start your own business that way
1: there was but as it turned out it was well worth it and well what about you have you ever taken that kind of a risk even if it was scary um
0: yep i can think of one time specifically i'm wearing my scotland shirt today because it reminded me of a time when i had been talking with a guy from the uk he was here in the states and i had told him that i had always felt sort of a kinship with Scottish people. And I'd found out that we have ancestors there and he said, well, why don't you do a pastor exchange? And I said, what's that? (laughs) He said, you just exchange (laughs) lives with a pastor. He comes and stays in your house and he preaches for you and you go and stay in his house and you preach for him for however many weeks you determine on both of your churches, if they're happy with it and you just do it. I said, how do you do that? He said you just contact somebody in the denomination that's the counterpart to our denomination and you send them an email and say i'm interested in doing this and they put the word out and if there's any interested pastor they'll contact you and i thought and that sounds scary (laughs) what if they say yes (laughs) so i did i sent the email and it didn't look at first like anything was happening it took about two weeks before i heard back from anybody and then boom i got the email And this guy from Scotland said, yeah, I'm very interested. Can we talk about the details? That's what led to my first pastoral exchange. It was sort of a sabbatical a working sabbatical. And uh, my family and I got to go to Scotland in the year 2000. And since then, I've been a total of three times to that wonderful country. And I would not have developed such wonderful relationships with people over in the UK had it not been for taking that first scary step.
1: And that wasn't necessarily a big one, but you knew the potential for what could come from that could be kind of scary. Yes. Another place that can be scary if you are wanting to stay in your comfort zone and mm-hmm. not wanting to do something is perhaps the fear of rejection. Oh. And I'm pretty sure you have a story that goes with that.
0: Yep. Indeed. Back when we were both living in Fort Worth, I decided to try to find a job that I could work around my school schedule and my schedule was really crazy, so it was hard to find any kind of a basic nine to five job. So I got some flyers, printed them up, started walking around a fairly exclusive part of town, knocking on doors, handing the flyer through the door. Many of them would not open the door fully, they would just open it a crack, and I'd slip the flyer through there. And I was saying that I would be willing to clean houses for these people if they would allow me to come in in between my school schedule. Well, there's this one lady, she looked to be quite elderly. And she was very shy in fact i think she was very scared of anybody knocking on her door but she did allow me to slip in a flyer and she asked how much per hour and that's the only thing she said to me and i told her <laughs> she said thank you and shut the door and i thought okay that's the last i'm gonna see that lady turns out she's the first person to call me back <laughs> and she said when can you start And Mrs. Palmer became one of my favorite clients. So that all happened because I took a risk. I was afraid of being rejected. And yet she became our favorite customer. And it was great.
1: Yeah, fear of rejection also translates directly one-to-one when people start to look at sharing their faith. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. And so we need some encouragement to do that. A lot of times our first attempts are kind of awkward or the people don't react well, and we try to, you know, then step back and go, oh, oh, I'm not an evangelist. I don't have that gift. I can't really do it. Mm-hmm. But yet, as believers, we're told that we are to all be sharing the gospel. Well, in my context, that included a stepsister, mm-hmm. and we had mm-hmm. sort of a dysfunctional, multi-generational household at one point, point. and she was there, I was there, and we were, you know, all trying to peacefully coexist. She was very worldly Mm -hmm. and wasn't always the easiest to talk to, especially about important subjects. Mm -hmm. Yet, I felt like I really need to do this. And so, one, I believe it was a Saturday afternoon, and I'll get to why in a minute. And we talked for a really long time. And I had something I wanted to do. And we zoomed right past that opportunity. And at the end of it, she said that makes sense. I need to do that. And so the opportunity came up. I was able to share my faith and she became a new believer. Wow. And the reason I remember it being a Saturday is because Doc Severinsen was playing the Arizona State Fair that evening. I think his first show was at five o'clock and I wanted to go and I didn't get to. Was it worth it? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, I later got to see Doc Severinsen in a great concert, so it wasn't like I missed out for my life, but we gained so much from that. There was a new believer who had the opportunity to become a resident of heaven because I took the risk to start the conversation and talk about something that was important to me and I knew would be important to her. Man, that's so
0: good. And there again, it's another new story that I was not aware of, and I think it's so cool. (laughs) I got to thinking as you were sharing that about your stepsister, I got to thinking how good it is that Jesus decided to go ahead and trust God the Father instead of looking only at his impossible circumstances when he was being arrested. That for me is remarkable, because I know he knew what was coming ahead of him, and it had to have been rough.
1: Yeah, we think about The pictures, the the visual pictures we get from the the narrative that we see in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's, he's sweating blood and he feels so alone because the disciples are all off napping and he's there praying to take the cup away from him so that he doesn't have to go through that. And yet he comes down to the line that says, not my will, but your will be done. I mean, that's that's faith because even though he's one with the father, he didn't know what that was going to necessarily feel like, but he knew it was gonna be bad. Yeah. I mean, we hear stories
0: all the time from people who said that when they first considered becoming a Christian and took that leap of faith to trust Jesus for their salvation and started leaning on him to guide them through their life, it was frightening. And I'm sure they saw some benefits because they were presented to them by people who were already Christians. But I, I have to know that they had to see some scary things, too, including some that would say, I'm probably going to lose some friends over this. You know, if I make well, this decision, some people aren't going to like it.
1: it, it almost guarantee it. You know, as a fairly logical mind, I didn't go through a cost benefit analysis, but I know a lot of people will think about what will I have to give up yeah. because they're comfortable in their lifestyle. Right. And they know that there are things that they're doing that are not pleasing to God. They know that their friends and acquaintances are not the kind of people that they will want to be or need to be hanging out with. And we know that there are people who aren't good for us. Right. But the key is they're not being asked to give up anything ahead of time. Right. Christ has come to me as we are. And why does he do that? Because he's going to take care of it later. Right. You know, he's going to do that transforming process yeah. if we will let him. You're not necessarily having to give anything up ahead of time, but afterwards, you're going to want to give it up as you look to him as Lord and Savior. Yeah It's
0: the have-to that makes people scared of that stuff, but when they realize that it becomes a want- to, because they're getting something so much more valuable. <laughs> Then it happens voluntarily, and it's that conversion of your attitude that makes you realize all that you're getting in Christ Jesus, and it becomes a wonderful
1: thing, sure enough. Yeah, and I go back to our story today, and I just keep thinking, all the time they were wandering in the wilderness, they knew that God had promised that they would be delivered into the promised land, which they had to know was going to be much better than what they were experiencing. Yeah. And when it got right down to it, what did they do? They said, no, we don't want the promised land. Mm-hmm. And you go, what are you thinking? Yeah. It's the promised land. All those other things that you're afraid of, he's going to take care of that.
0: Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, it's like that wonderful parable that Jesus was talking about that guy when he stumbled across something in that field and he knew it was such a treasure, but it wasn't his field yet. So he went out and sold everything he owned because he wanted to be able to buy that field so that he would own it. And then he'd have that treasure. I think it just says to us, Christ is so much more valuable than anything else than everything else that whatever we might choose to give up, having him is going to be worth it all because he's so much more valuable and he brings with it so much that we haven't even been able to dream about. That's far better. It's a function of faith.
1: Yeah. No matter how much or how little you have, That's really all that it takes to step into that relationship. Yeah. You know, he's not saying, know everything about the Bible, memorize the book of Leviticus, none of that. (laughs) He just says, come to me with however much belief you have Mm -hmm. and let me take it from there. Yeah. And it's very possible that some of the folks, some of our theologians, may not have ever really done that. They may not have come to the place where they've said, yeah, I really need to create that relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, I haven't done it. I've heard about it. I know about it. I've read about it for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, but -hmm. I've never really taken that step where I've turned my life over and given it to Christ. And we might want to give them that opportunity.
0: Let's do that. I'll just sort of say a sample prayer as I do so often. And it's the kind of thing that it's really what's in your heart That you're expressing by yourself, it doesn't have to be a memorized prayer or a scripted prayer so i'm just going to sort of speak from my own heart. In hopes that it will become an example to you, but you can just tell Jesus exactly what you feel in your own words and it could be something kind of like this. God I do recognize that there's something so much greater out there, but it's a little scary for me to take that step. And like those spies looking into the promised land you have promised something wonderful and you promise all of us something fantastic for eternity. And yet we can still get stuck in our unbelief and in our fear, not knowing what that future might hold for us. But thanks to what Jesus did for me, I know what the future holds, I know that it means i'm going to have a resurrection and he's preparing a place for me in heaven and with that new heaven and new earth that he's going to recreate going to restore everything into its former glory and i'll be a part of that if i'll just be willing to completely open myself up to him and trust him lean the full weight of my life on jesus christ and i want to do that right now thank you for your forgiveness thank you for your love for me thank you for guiding me through your holy spirit and your word And now I just promise that I want to follow you and I'm going to hang out with other people who are following you. All of us are imperfect and we're sinners, but we're forgiven. And I want to join that group of people, not because we're better than anybody, but because we need to follow you. And I thank you in Jesus name. I pray. Amen.
1: Amen. As always, good reminder, even for those of us who've been doing this for a long time, we still need to do that. Whether it's a first time that we've Prayed a prayer like that, mm-hmm. or after 50-something years, we just go, we still need you. Yeah. You know? Ain't it the truth? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think are the chances that we will step out in faith again next week and do this again?
0: Hmm. Well, I forecast a 97.6% chance that we're going to do this again. And you know what they say? 86% of all percentage forecasts are made up right on the spot. As always... We invite you, fellow theologians, to tune in again next time for another episode of Monday Monday Afternoon Theologians.
1: Theologians.
0: Now the only problem is I probably won't be able to figure out how to get rid of this thing.
1: And it will be on for every Zoom meeting from here on out forever.